everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson and I'll be your host once again. And as always, I'm joined by Scott. Scott, how are you doing this week? Hi Ben, hope you're well. Hello everybody. It feels like it's been um, a rather big week, both for some club sides, but also for the national team as we kind of embark on a on a new era, but we'll get to devil time later, I'm sure. Yeah, 100%. We have to talk about the new man in charge of the Red Devils, Domenico Tedesco. Um, we'll give you our opinions on that as well. And like you said, Scott, top and bottom of the league, there was a lot of good fixtures. And I don't you just feel like the league clearly didn't know when they put these fixtures in that this is how the league was going to pan out. But they somehow engineered it that we had top and bottom clashes throughout this weekend. Obviously, still no Yoris and probably for the best this weekend because he was one of the most frustrated men probably in Georgia um, after the result his side got and the, <laughs> the manner in which that result happened. And then he couldn't find a stream for the, for the youth team as well. So it wasn't the best of footballing weekends for our Yoris, but hopefully... He won as well. They won. Yongek <laughs> yeah. won the senior side loss. So, you know, swings and roundabouts. <laughs> swings and roundabouts, indeed. And yeah, we will definitely get to the Challenger Pro League because there was a lot of drama on the final day of the regular season there. But firstly, let's quickly go through the results from the Pro League. Uh, Leuven and Circle Bruges drew nil-nil on Friday night. Erpen left it late to beat Mechelen two goals to one. Club Bruges and Union played out a 1-1 draw. Really exciting game that. But then Vessler and Ghent went one more. They drew three all on Saturday. Charleroi pummeled Salang. They won that one three goals to nil. Genk, as we just mentioned, they lost. They lost 1-0 to Antwerp in the top of the table clash. Anderlecht, they scored three goals. Who would believe it? They beat St. Truden three goals to one. Standard dropped an egg at home. They lost 2-0 to Kortrijk. And then Zulta Varagem drew 1-1 with Ustend in a result that literally neither team was going to benefit from. But let's start then with one of those games that you can kind of relate to that analogy of if a tree falls in the uh, forest and doesn't make a sound, like what did anything actually happen? Leuven and Circle Bruges play a game on a Friday night that ends nil-nil, did anything actually happen? <laughs> and that's literally it. Nothing really happened in this one. I started watching this game before switching over to some of the other ones, but Circle, I thought, started the better team. There was just a lot of lumping the ball forward from both sides. And strange from Leuven, because I've always for with Mark Beers he's always spoke a little bit about playing out from the back and stuff like that and they just didn't really do that they just were lumping it straight down kind of Marcelan Popovich and Ravic's throats which I don't know I felt like without Jesper Darland you'd probably want to kind of exploit the circle of Bruges defence a little bit but without him they kept a clean sheet which is great for them Mechi continues to be one of the actual top performing goalkeepers in the league so it's good from them I thought yeah I thought circle with a better team in the the first half, I felt like they just wanted the ball a little bit more, especially Abby Francis in midfield. I'm, yeah, very much enjoying watching Abby Francis in that kind of central area. I think he's a really, really good player. Second half, again, just not really much happening. I think Leuven didn't get a shot in until the kind of end of the first half because their XG was zero um, for the first half for the most of the time I was watching it. They only managed one shot on target, where Circler had five on target and 12 shots overall. So they probably would have felt like they should have should have won that game. But Scott, I guess it's, it's really hard to talk about this one because no, literally nothing did happen. It was a really drab result, which is, we don't really expect that when we look at a circle of Bruges side that are quite an exciting, entertaining team to watch. And even though Leuven are on a, 
a bad run of form, they usually like their games are interesting and exciting. So it was a weird one that these two teams played out such a kind of drab nil nil. Yeah, your tree analogy is uh, r- rather good, Ben. I, I like that. Yeah, not not a lot you can really say about this game, and not just because it finished nil nil. Couple of performances to highlight. One of which you touched on, Abu Francis. I thought had a good game. CK had a good game again. You know, he's obviously kind of building up his his fitness, and you can see him improving week on week now. I think Rika having a good game for Leuven. In fact, I thought the Leuven back line, you know, Pletinks and uh, Widra Ogo had a decent game as well. But other than that, nothing nothing really at all to report here, I don't think. Man, that's probably going to be the shortest match review we've ever done of any matches because <laughs> they, they do happen. happen so. It does happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And we we usually are quite lucky in the sense that we don't normally have to skip through games that are really dull. But let's move on because, yeah, we could just sit here and talk about nothing. And that's basically the same thing as what happened in that one. Let's go to East Belgium then, to the Kerberg Stadion and Erpen against Mechelen. Huge game for both sides. Uh, Erpen obviously on their really bad run of form. Mechelen as well, having not won in the last two, looking to really push themselves above that drop zone and I mean if they had one they could be outside 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 chances of playoff two because they would have caught up there and it did get off to a pretty good start actually for them bigger Vestata a really nice finish from the edge of the box from him to give them a 1-0 head start in the 10th minute 14 shots overall for Mecklen but just four on target and if that doesn't sum up their woes in terms of a striker I don't know what does they started with Alessio de Cruz as the striker I just do not see him as a striker um, I see him much more as kind of a off the striker sort of player. Julian and Goy, I think was he st- he wasn't even on. Oh, he was on the bench, but yeah, they weren't even kind of prepared to play him, which I thought would have been a good idea against his former club potentially. They also had Enoch Agie, the man that joined Burnley from Anderlecht and then came straight back to Belgium. <laughs> I wonder if he even got on a flight. I presume he just probably just got on the train from Brussels straight to Mecca. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Pit pointless going all the way over to Burnley just to turn around and come back. But yeah, stayed 1-0 for a very long time. It looked like Mechelen were going to get away with the win despite not putting their chances away. But openness would have been a, a disastrous result in many senses because against a team so close to them and it was just not going well. But then my favourite player, Conan Andre, steps up in the 86th minute to make it 1-1. At that point, you're thinking, right, they've rescued a point. That's great. But then five minutes later, Brandon Bay gets his first goal for the side. Lovely finish from the edge of the box. I think it was our man Davo who got the assist. David <laughs> Alvarez with the assist. Good old Davo making his mark early on. 2-1 to Erpen. Absolute scenes at the end of the game just players everywhere in terms of the bench was up from Erpen, which is a really good sign if you're reading kind of into body language and stuff like that seeing the players really celebrate that victory shows that they do care about the club and they are caring about keeping them up because I don't I've always felt with Erpen you could sometimes potentially attract players that just wouldn't really care about a random club in the east of Belgium um, it's quite out of the way but Ed still gets a win that he desperately needs. He can now go back to the family WhatsApp and actually give some good news while his brother's hoarding <laughs> all the kind of family praise. But for Mechel and Scott, in the grand scheme of things, results didn't mean it was that bad a result. But like against Erpen, 
a side that are struggling, that's a result they really should have held on to and they probably should have scored more goals to make it more comfortable and not really let the Pandas back into yeah, it. Yeah, I think in the whole Mecklen were actually the better side and should have won this. I mean, talk about throwing the game away. Um, Stephen DeFour will be really annoyed with that, I think. And that's a huge result uh, for Open. You know, you were talking about what that might mean to them. But when you think about Kortrike, winning this weekend as well. That That's a massive three points for Open, I think. Um, I mean, a point wouldn't have been the end of the world in the scheme of things, but, you know, that just kind of keeps their their heads above water along with Gertrike rather than being, you know, kind of right in right in the mire. And psychologically, I think that's that, that that could be really big for them. And the gap between Gertrike and Open and, and Mecklen now in 13th isn't, isn't too great. It's only four points. So the two of them winning, you know, have, have concertinered things kind of even more down there uh, and made it even more interesting for us than it than it already was but I mean to throw the game away like that you know in the last five minutes is just the sorts of things that you know drive coaches absolutely mental especially when you don't need to you're right the winning goal was actually very good you know you can't look at it and go well it was it was preventable it's actually just a a good winning goal but equally you know if Mecklen had managed to hold out they psychologically would have felt very differently going into the next two or three weeks as well and and would have leapfrogged um, Charlois above them if they'd managed to hold on to the points as well so it's just a, a a case of their inconsistency rearing its head again which which has kind of plagued them all season for various reasons and you're right about Cruz I mean I I don't feel he's a he's a natural striker and as we were saying a couple of weeks ago Mecklen have been you know doing you know there's been quite a lot of rotation going on this season some of it enforced because of injuries which they've had a terrible season with injuries actually little niggly ones and, and longer ones some of which are to key players as well some of the real quality in the squad, which obviously doesn't help, but it's just one of those performances that we've seen from them this season where, you know, they probably should have got more, but because things haven't been got away for most of the season, they don't in this game either. Really frustrating for them. And yeah, Ed, Ed, exactly. You know, the body language... Um, you're saying people are into body language regular listeners will know that I definitely am, I'm always on the watch for that on the bench and on the pitch and this this means a lot to them because we spoke recently about Open really needing to pick up some points over the next month anyway, if, if they were going to kind of build up any kind of momentum especially with uh, Zulta Varagam being the one side down at the bottom who seemed to be starting to show signs of picking up some points that were bringing them back into contention again so some huge wins for some sides down at the bottom there to make it as I was saying even more interesting than it was this time last week absolutely and that's back to back throwing away of winning positions by Mechelen uh, obviously the 2-2 draw with mm-hmm. and then just looking ahead they are the only side they play that's beneath them in the rest of the season mm-hmm. is Salang every other team they play is above them apart from obviously Zulta Varagam in the cup semi-final so if you're talking league doesn't lie and table doesn't lie like they are then you'd expect them obviously I feel that they, this isn't going to happen but to only pick mm-hmm. up three points out of their next what nine matches which it, <laughs> it may be enough just because some other teams might just completely capitulate and not get any more points but it's worrying signs and I don't know if if it gets down to it the club would they just be like right we cannot risk this we're getting someone in to keep us up other than Stephen DeFore like do they could you see envision a situation where they say enough is enough we can't continue with this the only change we can make is the Mm. managerial one because we can't bring in players to replace them it's really interesting because 
because I think it was a couple of weeks ago we talked about there being a real danger of them getting sucked right in because it has happened to them before in the past where they looked to have enough and be clear and actually as it got closer to the end of the season that's exactly what happened and the last week of the season comes it goes against them and they have gone down before so it's happened to them before I mean looking at it now they're what sort of eight points clear of of the drop zone with nine games to go and that's that's not enough to feel comfortable, I don't think. So it'll be really interesting to see what they do because results since we had that conversation, as you were saying, have, have yeah, they've dropped more points than, than picked up in that time. So it's it's heading in the direction that we kind of flirted with, which is kind of quite concerning for them. I'll be going to see them in about a month or so, in a little bit over a month. I'll be going to one of their home games. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see where they are at that point in time to, to watch them up close to see if things have, have changed much since then so now they know that I'm coming to visit and um, they can put on a show for us can't they <laughs> yeah, yeah. Here's hoping. Now, I think it was um, Belgian football stats on Twitter put up a table basically like since the World Cup break like teams mm. form and stuff Mechelen would be just one point below mm. where they are now that kind of shows how like this isn't it's not that they're in a bad run they just had a pretty horrendous season overall and they kind of just would be in the same spot they would be in now interesting we spoke last week obviously about Leuven they'd be third bottom if you took the table just from after the World Cup which kind of again re-emphasises the point the only two teams that are in the same position are um, Sarangan East End as the bottom two which isn't very surprising but let's move away from the base, the basement of Belgian football the Belgian Pro League let's go to the top let's go to the Jan Bridal for Club Bruges against Union Saint-Gilles I think I made a prediction last week that I expected to see a really really good performance from Club Bruges and I think I was pretty wrong <laughs> on that one I, I, I'm happy to be disagreed with by Club Bruges fans and stuff like that but I just felt like if anything was going to come for them from this game, it was going to be for Mr. Noah Lang. I thought he was by far and away their most dangerous player. I think Buchanan had an all right game, but Lang was certainly the one. And I thought Bjornmeier and Lang, that they, they, they're starting to get like some good work going down on that left-hand side. So that's kind of Scotty Parker just needs to like, just give the ball to Noah. Like That should be a tactic from <laughs> now on. Uh, he hit the post early on, actually. It was actually a really good save from Anthony Morris, kind of tipping it onto the post. And no one was there to put the rebound away. But after that, that, Midfield three of Ritz, Onyadika and Van Aken was just dominated for the first half. Like Lazar Mani was just all over this game. His fingerprints absolutely everywhere, running the show, just his energy, his ability on the ball. Like Footmob gave him a rating of 6.1, which I think is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. Um, he was way better than that. Way, way better than that. They gave you Remchuk a seven, and I think I gave him a four. <laughs> so like, we clearly weren't watching the same game. And that shows if you just go off stats and not looking at the game but yeah Amani was great he was instrumental I guess in the goal that gave Union the lead keeping the ball in just I I couldn't really tell with the stream I was watching whether it was in or not so I don't want to say for definite whether it was or not but they looked at replays and they decided it was I think it's Newcoop that sends in the cross and like Lapusan is there at the back post just I don't think Minale is going to save that not great defending from Hendry or Mata just not picking up Lapusan, who's not really that much of an aerial threat, to be honest, usually. But it was a really nice header from him into the far corner. And yeah, Union really should have scored more than they did. They had 19 shots, but just two on target. Vitessen was very quiet. It, he was not as good as he was last week. Boniface, I thought, was pretty decent. He was, yeah, just running at Hendry and Mechler the whole time. Hendry, I think, started a bit shaky. But as the game got on, he got a lot better and a lot more confident. 
Same with Onyedika in the midfield. Like Amani was running rings around him in the first half, but by the second half, he was a lot better. He was making some good tackles, breaking up the play. Somehow didn't get booked, which I think is a skill in itself because he just took did a lot of take fouls. But of course, it was after I messaged on our chat and said, is Hans Van Aken even playing? He's done absolutely nothing. I just All he was doing was losing the ball. He looked so slow. He then obviously gets the equaliser. <laughs> Great header from him. I still don't think he did anything really else in this game. Again, feel free to disagree with me if you think he did, but all I can remember is him getting the ball with his back to goal, Senelin and sprinting like 20 yards every time and just clashing him. Usually cleanly, actually, to win the ball. But yeah, 1-1 at half-time. I felt Scott Parker just, he had to make changes because that the midfield was awful for Club Bruges in this game. He didn't actually make any changes at half-time. He did bring off Yeremchuk, who was very quiet again. Osams Kamal Soa, Nielsen came in for Mats Ritz, uh, Gustav Nielsen came on for Union as well for Jobra Tessen. But yeah, that's basically how it finished at one all. Club could have nicked it at the end. They had a really good chance. Lang also had a really good chance that he should have finished, but just completely missed it. And I was I was certain he was going to score that one late in the second half. I think Hendry had a header at the at the death that went over the bar. So club will probably look at this game and think that we had our chances and we could have won it. But I think in the overall grand scheme of things, Union really should have won this one. Yeah, I think I think uh, a draw was probably a fair result when you look back at the game. Union perhaps marginally the better side, you know, offensively. But I think club probably had the better of the chances. You know, as you were kind of describing there, Ben just couldn't couldn't take some of them. It's really interesting here, Scotty Parker now having kind of come out and basically said that he wants Noah Lang to be his, his main man, his main striker and that's quite a big call so early on for for a number of reasons you can kind of see why but I can also see how that could potentially create a little bit of tension in that camp I don't think that's something Ferran Yukla is going to particularly like and Roman Yaramchuk obviously won't like that because that means he's sli- slipping even further down the pecking order and I said last week that I, would, I felt that he would definitely want to go out on loan in the summer and I think the chances of that happening have, have almost certainly increased with Scotty Parker saying that he wants uh, Noah Lang to be to be his main man now. He's the sort of player that, that Scott Parker likes, I think. You know, he's obviously excited by offensively what he can bring to the side. Although I did notice them having a conversation on the touchline at one point and Scotty Parker looked quite concerned with Noah Lang's frustration and I think what he was trying to say to him was, look, just calm down and focus on the game. Um, so we did see a, a, a an early indication of how his frustration can and does get the better of him sometimes. But if he can if he can focus on his football and Scotty Parker can keep his mind on that, then you know there's an opportunity for him to flourish. Because I think the interesting thing about Lang is he showed signs this season of the flashes of brilliance that we saw a while ago that we haven't seen for kind of quite some time. Um, so from that point of view, a club will be very encouraged by that. But, I mean, that's what, one win in seven now under Scotty Parker, which obviously isn't great. They, they've they conceded nine and only scored eight in the time he's come in as well. So uh, from an offensive point of view, although they're they're, they're looking better in spells, I thought they, they opened in 20 minutes of this game, I thought they were the better side. And then things kind 
of settled down, you know, as, as, as they often do in games. But it's a bit, it's just, it just feels a bit floaty and topsy-turvy at the moment from, from club, and he's still getting the feel for, for his squad, and they're not entirely convincing over the course of sort of 90 minutes yet. But this game is a really good feisty encounter between the two, as, as they have been for a while, because obviously they've been title challengers. We were at the reverse fixture back in October, and that was every bit as exciting as, as this one, just, just in a different way. So this particular fixture is, is starting to to become quite spicy um, on the Belgian football calendar, and it's 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 one to watch out for for when whenever it comes up. But yeah, my feeling is a draw was ultimately probably the right result over the piece, and I think the big winners, obviously from a, a playoff one perspective, this weekend are are the great old, of course, and we'll we'll get to them in due course with all of the other sides round about them uh, dropping points, and they were the ones who who took real advantage of 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 all of the results this weekend. I think. Yeah, completely agree with that. And if I'm honest, I'm pretty anxious about well, not anxious, but it's probably quite a strong word. Concerned about what sort of performance they're going to give against mm. Benfica because Hufkins had clearly worked out the Champions League, but I don't think he'd ever really worked out the the Pro League. He struggled in that, but Champions League, they they knew what they had to do. I, I mean. Yeah, I don't know. Without Scott mm. Olsen, without Eukler, like is Scott Parker gonna be able to do anything against a Benfica side that I think Will was saying on commentary are just absolutely flying? Yeah, they're they're in very very good form, and even when they're not, the the offensive talent that that side has is is enough to frighten anybody, regardless of the form that they're that they're in. The other way of looking at that that big tie coming up, of course, is that it's it is a free hit, of course, so they can go out and express themselves and just see what happens. But there's certainly. Be nothing to suggest in club's recent form that you know they they go into that game with with a huge amount of um, optimism I suppose but you know they've they've bucked a trend in Europe so far so we just need to see how it goes but um, it, it'll be an interesting one uh, both as a test of I suppose Scotty Parker tactically because you know playing playing European football at that level is, is is new for him as a coach and and a, and a test of, of of where club are kind of overall because I I kind of feel like um, even since the managerial change, you know, there's been no discernible improvement really in any sense yet since since Hufkins kind of left the club. And that's not a reflection on Scotty Parker, obviously. But as you were saying last week, I think what seven games in now, I think the that's enough time to 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 be able to have a look at, you know, the tweaks he's made and the things that are starting to become uniquely his and, and starting to make some calls on, on, on some things. And he, he's making it difficult to to be too optimistic about them at the moment, but but I'll keep my fingers crossed that um, we can get a positive result there for the larger coefficient as well, of course. Yeah, 100%. I just don't want to see that really good group stage run that they went on just kind of come to a pretty disappointing end in the knockouts. Like, in a sense that as long as they're competitive, that's all we can really ask for. But the way they were playing in those group stages, it'd be such a shame if they don't, if they're not able to replicate those performances over two legs against Benfica, because then we'll always be saying, mm. but what if? What if they'd been able to carry that through? Um, but it's, it's like he's he's got his defensive partnership sorted 
mainly like you know it's gonna be Maya. It looks like Hendry and Mechel mm. is sorted. It looks like he prefers Ritz over Nielsen. And obviously, yeah, Lang. He, he said he wants to play Lang as a central striker, then start Jeremchuk. So who knows? Maybe Jeremchuk against his former side. There's gonna be something in that. But yeah, they're just like you said. I'm not going into watching this game full of confidence mm. for them. But obviously, fingers crossed, we'll be cheering them on, and hopefully, they can do the business as well as the other teams that are involved. One of those teams will be Ghent. They kicked off the Saturday game against. Best of low, and it started pretty pretty openly. I guess we could say a couple of chances for either side. Good save from Sinan Bola actually to deny Alessio Castro Montes. Looked like his shot was destined for the top bins, but yeah, Bola stuck out a big hand to tip it over the bar. However, then there was a penalty given for Ghent. Handball in the area it was pretty obvious. Ref, to be fair to the referee, I don't think he could see it. But after VAR intervened, it was always going to be a pen. Upstep Hugo Kuipers, he scored again. Top scoring Belgian in the Belgian Pro League, having a great season. He's now equaled, or he's won better than his tally last season for Mechelen, so that's always a good sign. However, literally three minutes later, Maxime de Kuyper scores for Veselo. Lovely cross to the back post from uh, Fixels. Reynolds knocks it back across. Nardi gets a hand to it, but de Kuyper's there to almost miss, <laughs> to be fair to him, almost puts it wide, but he grabs a goal to make it one all, and then on his debut, gift Orban, flipping neck. we got to talk about <laughs> these goals. Uh, the first one was Hong-esque, I guess we could say now that like Hong did exactly the same mm. thing on his debut acrobatic volley ball up no chance that was number one for gift Nasser Chadley literally five minutes later Ghent just could not hold the lead he gets very fortunate I guess we could say as the ball kind of ricochets off of the post and into basically hits him and goes in all three of the goals for Veslo in this game were avoidable from a Ghent perspective in mm. my opinion just was not great defending or reactions to bubbles and stuff and none could be more like apt than the 47th minute third goal for Veselo from Lucas Vanino just horrendous <laughs> defending awful awful defending like I think all three of the centre-backs are involved in messing this one up the first one's a Kumish like he's trying some sort of like skill deep in his own half dribbling the ball out and it just goes horrendously wrong and he loses it the ball comes in and Ngaji and Turin Liga just do mm. not deal with it they just like, kick it against each other eventually it just comes to Eno and he puts it home but then we get goal of the game goal of the weekend maybe even goal of the season I think it's Hong with the pass inch per set pass over the top and it just sits up on the edge of the box for Gift Orban to lead through it past Sinan Bola and what the way I described it does not do this goal justice like you need to go and find it either on our Twitter account the Get Belgian Football Twitter account look on 11's Twitter account like just go and find this goal because it is so so good the connection Gift makes with it is just incredible oh what a what a debut from him what a finish that was um, the former Starbeck man only moved to Europe last season I think from Bison FC in Nigeria joined Starbeck scored like 14 or 16 goals for them in their promotion from the Norwegian second tier, then comes straight to Belgian football and starts off like that. I mean, we've seen some good debuts, Scott, in the Belgian league, but that, in terms of like the two goals that he scored, I don't think there have been many better. Yeah, that second goal in particular is just, it's just wonderful. I mean, the through ball, the assist is every bit as good as the finish, actually. It's just, it's just fantastic stuff. And, you know, you can't, you can't ask for better than that, you know, when you You've gone to a new club, really. You know, I mean, really hitting the ground running, literally like that, with a couple of cracking finishes. Um, certainly set the bar high, Orban. Now, you know, we know what you can do. So, you know, it's one one way of looking at it is um, that it's all downhill from.
from here, but we'll we'll see what happens. But yeah, fantastic goals. Ghent uh, should have won this, really. I think Big Hine will be well annoyed, particularly with his defenders, as you were kind of describing there, because some of the defending was just, you know, frightening, actually, the, the stuff of nightmares. If it had been a little bit better, I think uh, I think Ghent would have left um, Westerlo with with the points um, in the end, but you know defensively it was just a bit of a horror show from them, and they've had they've had defensive issues for a while now. You know, Big Hines been um, actually lamenting that in some of his press conferences recently about how thin in the ground they are there, and um, how that's that's somewhere that they need to improve, uh, improve. Sorry, both on and off the park, but a wildly entertaining game, particularly from a neutral's perspective. I, I would imagine it wouldn't have been much fun to watch from a, a Westerlo. Um, or again, fans' perspective, all in the same week that we learnt, of course, the big news uh, as far as the Buffaloes are concerned is the confirmation that the club are now officially up for sale and they've enlisted the help of a, of a British sports investment company uh, to try and assist them to, to find find the right buyers. club has been unofficially up for sale for a while, but now it's, it's public knowledge that you know they, they, they are looking um, and seem to be looking further afield because there, there has been some interest, but from what I can gather, it's just not been the, the right potential buyers. So that's kind of quite big news because Ghent are actually kind of quite an attractive club to acquire, if you think about it. The, there's lots of positive reasons why a footballing investor would want to add Ghent either to their portfolio or or, or as their first club. It would be a, an attractive purchase, definitely. So um, a lot going on with the Buffaloes this week. Yeah, and they also found up Kamil Pietkowski is going to be out for a while as well just to kind of rub salt in the wound of their ridiculous injury problems they have at the moment it's just yeah not looking good as they have to go to Carabag <laughs> midweek which I'm sure Hein's going to really enjoy the little trip over sure to um, Azerbaijan <laughs> <laughs> but he thinks they'll get Nurlio back potentially and maybe Hul Saga which yeah will at least make some difference to the mm. side that he can put up because it is very much bare bones at the moment unfortunately let's go to Wallonia let's go to Charleroi the most beautiful part of the world they hosted Salang Salang obviously coming off that huge home win could they put back-to-back performances together or were they just going to return to their kind of poor form that they'd shown obviously it's the latter uh (laughs) backing bio band basically the length of the pitch in the 18th minute really like unselfishly plays it to Hossan Zade who has every right in the world to shoot but makes such a good decision like it's just one of those things you watch it and I think when you actually like break it down Mm. the ability he shows there to be like I could he could have shot he has every right to shoot he's got a great angle but Bayo was the better play there he just cuts back in and plays it across Bayo strikes at home really nice play from Hossan Zade actually he was kind of all over this game I think he had a really good shot as well in the for end of the first half that Deitch saved it was basically all Charleroi uh, they got their second though in the second half of all the two players to link up it was Damian Mark and Jonas Bayer. obviously comes from a set piece drops the mark Mark flicks it to the back post Buyers there to just knock it in quite straightforwardly. They then get a penalty. You man, Nikola Stulic is taken out. Well, he's tackled in the box. It looked quite soft. I'm not going to lie, but when you watch the replay, I guess it's one of those ones that once it's gone to VAR, it was always going to be given as a foul. And then upstepped Marco Ilamarica. He converts a penalty. Quite a strange decision for the penalty taker, mm. um, I thought. 
of all players. Don't get me wrong, massive fan of Marco Lomarica, one of my favourite players, but didn't see him as a penalty taker, but he's proved everyone wrong, slotting it home. Finished 3-0. Salang, pretty awful, to be honest. Just two shots, one of those was on target. Lapointe, the hero from last week, came out and said their performance was disgraceful and the fans deserved so much better. <laughs> it just kind of felt like I I thought I had this kind of inkling that right are they going to now like even if they didn't lose this game just pick up another point start to slowly pick up points but I feel like this result just kind of like just sets everything back again it's like mm. oh yeah they're going down do you mm. know what I mean it's like okay yeah that was just a blip the win was just something that was going to happen against the Paul Leuven side they've come up against the Charleroi side Bio's back they just steamrolled them mm. this curtains again potentially they'll win next week now we've said that <laughs> they're not a lack of consistency was always going to be their problem and it just showed in this game, didn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, that's been the story, the, the Sarang story for a while now, not being able to get back-to-back wins, never mind being able to win at home. It might be the case that they've been partying all week after that because that, that so, so momentous was that statistically and psychologically for them that perhaps they had the whole week off and that's why things were went pear-shaped so badly for them this week. Yeah, I mean, not a lot to say from a Sarang perspective, you know, just, just really, really poor. Charleroi, on the other hand, are one of the sides at the moment who, over the last few weeks, we've, we've seen a real upturn in form from um, starting to pick up points, things starting to kind of settle. Uh, Felix Mazu now is, is now kind of starting to stamp his authority in that side, reshaping the starting lineup a little bit over the last few weeks. Really interesting midfield in this game, you know, Hossein Zade, Elamahitra, and Adam Zorgan, which is a, a strong midfield actually. And, you know, I think they, they, they're starting to kind of look quite decent. They're starting to respond to his ideas tactically as well. You know, the classic Mazu 3 5 2. Bio's got uh, a goal and an, an, an assist in his first couple of games since he came back so he's just slipped back into that that old old pair of gloves uh, that he had like he'd never been away and um, could by the looks of it form a, a reasonably effective partnership with uh, Nicholas Stulich I think um, it's obviously very early days but I think there's a lot a lot of positive stuff for Felix Mazu to take out of out of that partnership obviously they've got um, another striker lined up for the summer who'll be joining them in the summer when Bio almost certainly goes back to, to sit on the bench at Watford uh, which would be a great shame which is probably what's going to happen but Charlotte have been very proactive and I identifying a striker that will be joining them um, in the summer uh, when that when that switch happens but yeah I mean steamrolled is, is is a great word to describe what actually happened here because yeah there was only really one side that were going to win this I think yeah pretty uneven contest which is a shame because yes yeah, Salang have actually been more competitive than we expected uh, but they weren't really in this one at all let's go to the big one on Sunday, which was Genk against Antwerp. Great atmosphere, tackles flying in, enjoyed this one, thought it was going to be nil-nil for most, after the first half, I thought they were just going to equal each other out in the sense of Genk just not finding the back of the net. 16 shots, just three on target for them. It's, every time something like this happens, people are going to be saying, but only if Paul Onowachi was there. (laughs) Like, that's going to be the thing that comes mm. up. Like, it's just natural, isn't it? And, like, there's a couple of chances Samata had that you're like, mm, Onoachi probably would have reacted quicker. Mm, Onoachi probably would have done this, done that. Which is unfair on Samata because he's just a different player, but he isn't as good as Onoachi. Mm. Um, it's not the Samata from a couple of years ago, unfortunately. I think my favourite kind of battle within the battle was Daniel Munoz and Gaston Avia just kicking the absolute crap out of each other <laughs> all game. It was just like Avia like threw himself to the floor when Cuesta like barely touched him when Mackenzie touched mm. him like 
this man's just he's just like, he just cracks me up every time I watch him because he's just so entertaining. And Munoz, like you know these guys that play on the edge, that kind of like South American kind of mm. do anything to win sort of mentality, but like you're gonna give 110% all game and like just play on the edge. Like these two are like that and they just were prone to be, like, just being in the same place at the same time, kicking each other. Paint still dislocated his shoulder or arm early on and they just kind of like kept popping it back in all game mm. which is just bizarre it was like after the second or third time just take him off bring on Yerasaur like you've brought in someone like that or bring on Iron or Itel Hads like someone else just to just not risk that becoming a worse injury than it, it could have done We I don't know I haven't seen anything if it has like been confirmed as a bad injury but it just looked really uncomfortable and for a player that is fast and sprints and does that sort of stuff and he's he's he is pretty physical given his like small size and like pushing players around like he needs to be able to use that arm and he just did not look comfortable with it at all it was nil nil at half time i think genk really should have been ahead uh they definitely had some decent chances they just couldn't really convert it then was just a mistake at the back just not dealing with a long ball over the top fell to galano kirk really nice finish from him actually to make it one nil to antwerp they had so many chances after that on the counter-attack they, they just would not convert just couldn't do it but then genk really could not kind of get themselves back into the game with an equalizer so as we already said antwerp were the winners of the weekend they move on to 50 points eight clear of club bruges in fourth place so any kind of notion of of them dropping out they've really turned the corner in terms of mm. post world cup i think they've been a much better side uh they close the gap on gank to 12 points but obviously when things get hard and stuff like that that's going to drop even further so really really good result for antwerp built off the back of their solid defense i guess yeah which has been solid solid all season actually and it's been the the kind of foundation of much of their their work there's always been question marks obviously about the offensive side of of their game and whether there's quite enough um for them to kind of pick up the big prize but they're they're hanging in there at the moment and and are very much contenders and as results this weekend show that you know things are starting to concertina at the top much like they are at the bottom and there was a feeling when when on actually left just to go back to him uh, for a second that that over the course of time was what was likely to happen and um, we're starting to see some signs of it um, already I know Arioris was was hugely frustrated with this game because uh, and I can see why because Antwerp only really had one big chance in this game which came from that long ball and 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 the gift for for Kirk to score which he which he did nobody was really going to miss that Antwerp were pretty decent uh, on the counter attack I thought they had a few opportunities half chances that were, were better chances than they were probably given credit for. Lots of needle in this game as you would expect as well. I I felt it was heading for a draw as well, funnily enough. I thought the first half wasn't wasn't particularly great. There was lots of physicality in it, but no real clear-cut chances being created by either side. And it was decided ultimately by, you know, a long ball and, and, and a mistake. Lots of people flying in with some wild challenges and, and, and I'm surprised actually that we didn't see maybe a couple of red cards in this game. I, I thought I thought the referee was, was quite restrained throughout most of this which which is interesting because they're, they're not normally as restrained as they were here in, in, in Belgium. Antwerp will be delighted with this because this is their first win away to Genk in the league uh, for, for 30 years. Obviously they won the 
there very recently convincingly in the cup. Uh, but there's, this is a first win away in the league there, which obviously is is even more significant in terms of the bigger picture at the moment. Yeah, interesting game, and um, the other results just kind of highlight how how interesting things are getting now because it looked um, even after coming back from the World Cup break as if Genk were going to maintain their form, and, and I think they've ultimately been pretty good still, even without Onoachu. There's there's more than enough offensive firepower there on the subject of the firepower specifically. I would really like to see Arokadari getting a, a run ahead of, of of Samata. I just think Samata's, to me, doesn't look completely fit or completely mobile um, enough to kind of contribute enough at the moment. And Arokadari has shown enough both on the ground and the, in, in the air, I think, to, 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 to be given a run because he'll definitely get the service. Um, from Pantsel and Trezor, and I think he just offers more, more of an all-round game than than Samata does, and he looks, he looks like he has more confidence about him as well. He's he, he's a handful, and and I'm not saying he's the answer, but I I think there there there's potentially more goals in him over a period of time than than there is Samata, unfortunately. But I understand why they're sticking with him because he's tried and tested, and he knows the club, and there may be off the off the pitch reasons as to why. Rokadari's not getting any any starts yet, but again we saw flashes in this game of of the stuff he's got to offer. He, he did nearly get a couple of goals here. Yeah, I can I can imagine he's probably if not next game, probably the game after. Unless Samata scores, I think he'll probably be in. Um, it just makes sense, wouldn't it? Given his record in French football so far this season, kind of like you said, the confidence he's bringing to the to the club with his new with himself coming in. Let's quickly go over to Brussels then shall we for Anderlecht against St. Sluden a bit like the Charleroi game this just really wasn't a contest at all Anderlecht finished with 74% possession Gianni Bruno was on the bench we went for the Hara Hayashi partnership which I didn't really like it last season that much (laughs) (laughs) didn't really do much this season but everything kind of happened in the second half. Some pretty shocking defending from St. Sluden just bobbled the ball around after a long ball over the top. Benito Rahman, fresh from his pints in East End, put that one away. Nice, comfortable finish from him. He gets hooked five minutes later for Islam Slamani, who then gets his first goal for the club. Lovely ball in from Amuzu. Great header from Islam Slamani. It's 2-0. Uh, he almost gets an assist as well. A lovely little kind of backheel flick through to I can't remember who it was actually that he he found the ball with. It might have been Arnstad uh, who fires it. I think Schmidt makes a save and then Andersdorf is kind of there to tap it in. That gives him two goals in the space of two games. Three nil at that point. Uh, Saint June do bring on Gianni Bruno though, and he gets an absolutely ridiculous goal. Really nice volley from the edge of the box. One uh, uh, if again if Gift Orban hadn't scored that second one, this probably would have been talked about a lot more because it's a really nice finish from Gianni Bruno. Gives him eleven goals, I think, for the season, mm. but not really a contest in this one, which Anderlecht fans were very happy about. But for Saint Trudin, it's a strange one because. They usually are quite competitive, even in games like this, where they're considered the weaker side. Yeah, I mean, it was a below-par performance from their point of view. You know, they've been pretty consistently decent, I suppose, is, is probably the right word to, to use. And they've been one of the, the best sides um, since coming back from the World Cup break, actually, in terms of consistency. They've, they, they, they have been good. And Bruno's obviously been in good form. Getting a goal, even though he didn't start the game, kind of underlines that he should have started the game. And that's probably what he said afterwards as well. From an under 
Afterlife perspective, that's three wins in their last four now, 10 points out of the last 12. And it's funny how things can kind of turn quite quickly. It only felt like... About three weeks ago, Brian Brian Reimer was talking about needing 12 or 15 games maybe for things to start to kind of click in a way that he would want. And I think we're now starting to see some signs of that. There are still some uh, rotational changes that he's playing with, like lineup-wise and tactically. But I think I think we're starting to see a, a, an uplift and he'll be hugely encouraged by that, I think. Anders Dreyer getting, getting the score sheet again. He's got two goals and an assist in his first five games um, so he has definitely had a positive impact and you can see exactly why he was brought in to to score and, and, and to create and he's definitely been doing that the first those first five games the signs are, are kind of hugely encouraging um, for what we've seen and it feels like we're, we're kind of mentioning him almost every week when we talk about the moves now um, such as his impact being really good in the second half Anderlecht um, particularly a bit of a battering I mean it should have been more than three, I think. I mean, it's three probably going on five or six. And I know that afterwards, Brian Reimer was really delighted with that. You know, he said that he felt they'd worked really hard and prepared on a certain game plan, uh, specifically with St. Truden in mind. And uh, it all kind of came together for them in, in, in the second half, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it means they're now just one point off of playoff two yeah one yep. point behind St Truden unbeaten in four three wins in those last four so since losing to Zolt Varigan they've really turned the corner mm. and they've now got that chance at playoff two which they didn't uh, they were going to have and the way they're playing you'd expect them to probably break their way mm. into there if sides do drop off it kind of puts pressure on Circler, Veselo even Standard now after this weekend to make sure they get back to winning ways even Ghent actually that's three without a win for them so like while they've been looking up they should also be kind of keeping one eye behind them well one eye over their looking over their shoulder just in case because yeah Anderlecht are definitely starting to, to come and Charlois are also coming with that win um, so it, we, we could have a situation we had last season where like we had that final day St. Truden trying to get in mm. there not making it but I think it could be quite a competitive fight for playoff two let's talk about standard they hosted core trike and it's just going into this game I was just thinking this is the sort of game where standard will not play well because <laughs> they play well against the big teams but then against the teams that are worse than them they just really struggle and yeah unsurprisingly they lost they had nine shots only one on target the start of this game it just wasn't a great game to be honest it wasn't a great watch not much really happened there was a couple of counter-attacking plays from Kortreich uh, Mesradi had his blocked by Bacardi <laughs> it wasn't really much happening at all second half is when it started to really work for both for, for Kortreich really game plan just kind of worked to perfection I guess you could say Martin Vazinski going his first goal for the side since joining on loan from Charleroi he puts it home in the 67th minute to give them a 1-0 lead which at the time was very important because at the same time Zoltavar again were leading in the other game so the, their margin from the bottom had been kind of was being cut they took the lead and yeah standard just just really disjointed I guess you could mm. say I don't they kind of didn't really create much going forward and I'm just looking at Chanak on the bench and I'm just like why is he not playing every game for this team like what well, I don't get what they've got to lose with just giving him game time and getting him developed because you've got rid of so many different players over the course of the kind of 
the season and stuff like that. We just well, I I completely missed Alexander Buxka turning up at standard Liège. Um, <laughs> that just completely caught me by surprise seeing him on the bench. Like couldn't get a look in at Leuven despite them having no strikers. And now he's just at standard. Bizarre. Uh, Emond was back though. It was nice to see him mm. back. Didn't really make much of an impact coming off the bench because well this was a bit, I had no idea what happened here in the eighty kind of eightieth minute. Kortaika basically in Soleimani's in, but you can't really get his shot off. He does get his shot off. Well saved by. Bodar, then can't remember who it was, has their shot cleared off the line. Might have been Massimo Bruno actually. His shot cleared off the line by Bacardi, but it's like way off the line. And then it's like we've got a VAR check. And I presumed it was for the goal line thing, which was weird because it was nowhere near going in. But then you see that life is just yanks Salamani down, gets himself sent off, which caused me I messaged every, you guys and was like, this is it coming. He gets himself sent off in the same week where he was talking about his desire to play for a top European in a top European league. <laughs> and I was like <laughs> I think you then said he's not even a top defender in the Belgian league. I was he thinking? <laughs> never been, never been convinced by Lifeus and Dusan, uh, to be honest. So it just was quite ironic that in that time he said that. Uh, Salamani then picks himself up, dusts himself down, puts the penalty away. Courtlike get the win in this one, two goals to nil. Fantastic result for them. Really, really important. Fans stayed well after the final mm. whistle to celebrate. Standard were poor, really, really bad. A completely non-performance, but fair play to Courtright, they took advantage of it. Yeah, they were they were poor indeed, Ben, you're right. It's interesting uh, when you look at their, their kind of performance this week from a standard perspective, because last week against uh, Circle, um, they were they were decent, actually. And I saw some of uh, Ronnie Dyla's pre-match team chat before the, the Circle game last week. And uh, there's a particular point in that team chat where he said I can see it in your eyes boys when when you really want it when you want to win and I can see a different look in your eyes when you know you're you're not so bothered about winning and I take it it was the latter he saw in their eyes here because it, they, they just you know they, they didn't want it enough and fair play to Bern Stork you know they've they've gone there and taken sort of full advantage of that and Kurtrike have had a great weekend really you know when you look at the other results and um, particularly last Last week when we highlighted the fact that it looked like things were starting to hit the buffers just a little bit for them. This is this is kind of quite a big result for them. Yeah, standard just really poor and I, I, I don't think they enjoy particularly playing at Slessing these days as well. They've they've dropped more points than they would have wanted or should have at home as well. And that's that's never a good sign when you, you know you're trying to kind of build consistency of, of, of any kind at all. So a frustrating one for Ronnie Dyla, particularly after a good performance last week and that's the first standard performance I think for maybe a month or so which which actually has been below par they have been shown a lot of signs of 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 being better and this is just a reminder of of the the kind of levels that you know they they've been working so hard to try and try and avoid I think yeah no 100% it's just frustrating because results kind of seem to go a little bit of their way but if they had managed to win this one they'd have been leapfrogging again and just a point behind Club Bruges for that going into fourth which is remarkable when you can look at the squad. Mm. Noah Hayo up front is quite raw. They just don't have a striker. Like I think Perica's in the very 
like one of the worst in terms of finishing chances as well. Mm. So it's like he's one of their top scorers and he can't finish. Like he's doing it without a striker. So, but it was a, it was just a really bad performance. Like it was just one of those one of those ones. If you were one of the other teams in the relegation zone, you'd be pretty frustrated with what you mm. saw from Standard because you'd have wanted them to go at a Courtois side that were starting to struggle a bit. So for them, it's like the perfect time to get that win, which obviously then puts pressure on sort of Varagem and Ustend who just. Both teams had to win this game in the sense of giving themselves a chance, not meaning the gap's too big. And it was Zoltavagem who got the early lead in this one through Scott. The words you always use to describe bad defending is honking defending. <laughs> and this was the definition of honking defending. It was so bad. Gano's making the run in behind. You can see him making the run in behind. Everyone can see him making the run in behind. The ball's going over the top and Tong's just kind of, he steps out so late to try and play offside. Like it was so bad, like mm. how late his reaction was to step out. And Gano's just in, comfortably puts it in. VAR check was quite short because it was just so clearly onside. And it was just like awful. Interestingly, Usten did make a change in goal. William Hubert was mm. back over Dion Phillips. Nothing he could really do about that. That one. Vossen then looked like he'd made it 2-0, but he was marginally offside. Unfortunately, Rude Vorma had to then go off. He fell quite awkwardly, went and sat on the bench. As me and Scott were talking about before this, he just was sat on the bench for ages. And it was like, what's going on there? Then he just wandered back onto the pitch. But clearly something was wrong. It's now transpired that he's broken his collarbone Mm -hmm. and could be out for six weeks minimum after the surgery. So Lay is now having to plan without him which is a massive blow for them. But, I mean, in this game, they really should have been further ahead by half-time. They had lots of chances. They were creating quite well, defending quite well as well, actually. Bossett made a couple of routine saves. The kind of back line of Fila, Dirks and Dismas was doing all right. Obviously, without former in there, it was a little bit of a struggle, but they were able to bring on Nicholas Roman, so that was fine. However, 75 minutes, they concede a hammer blow, basically. Fraser Hornby, who else? Lovely finish out of nothing, really, to make it one goal apiece. But at that point, you're thinking, Usted now need to, they have to win. They need to push on for the win. But it was also to Zoltavagem after that. Mm. They were the side in the ascendancy. They were the side really pushing to try and get the winning goal, which they couldn't get. Finishes 1-1, boost from the home fans who knew how important it was. Gano should have scored a couple more at the end there. But in the grand scheme of things, it now means Kortrijk's lead is four points. That's a huge, huge win mm. for them. They're four points ahead of Zoltavagem, which means they are also, what's that? Seven points above Ustend and no, six points above Ustend, four points above Zoltavagem. So I'm getting all my numbers mixed up here. Um, not sure how that's all working, but yeah, no, six and four, and then yeah, seven to Salang. We'll get there in the end. Quarter right now, obviously, level on points with Urban as well, and then Mechelen on 26. So it still is that 13 to 18 spot, but it, this just feels like such a massive blow to Ustend not winning this game. Whereas for Zoltavagem, at least they play Quartrike quite soon as well so they have a chance to kind of catch up there but losing Vorma losing the lead like it felt to me like this could potentially be a a bad turning point in their season. Yeah, well, I I saw all of this game actually. It was one of the games I'd earmarked uh, this weekend to, to to watch for a, for a number of reasons. Partly, obviously, because of where they both are on the table and the significance of of, of both needing the points. From a Newstead perspective, they didn't show enough to win it. I don't think so. In that sense, they're probably delighted to get a point. Zalta really should have got this over the line, I think, and were kind of unlucky not to. But as long as the game stays at one 0 you. Know what I mean? You're definitely still in it, no matter how um, how blunt 
you are offensively. And, you know, as you were saying, Fraser Hornby, who's who's been the main man for Usten for a while now, um, they certainly missed him and he hasn't been in the side getting another goal. And it meant quite a lot to him, actually. He was, he was right over with the fans after scoring that, loving it, showing some passion, which is always good to see because, you know, the bloody hell, they need that at the moment. They really do. I think I, there was a wild start, something to do. I think I don't think Ustend have had a clean sheet in something like 18 or 19 now, which is just unbelievable. And I think in most of those games, they've conceded on average about two goals as well. So there's some basic data, which is just the stuff of nightmares. Um, not a great performance. I think they really had to go into this game and not lose it, which ultimately is what they've done. But it doesn't it doesn't really help them either. Zalta, on the other hand, are right in the middle of a period just now, which will define their season, I think. I mean, this game was obviously massive because they were playing a side um, in the drop zone with them. But look at their next two games as well. Zalta next play Sarang away and then they're at home to Kertraik. Now, if they'd managed to win this weekend and then they go win those next two, this is me and my crystal ball, then their entire season almost completely changes. And I suppose it's still in their hands because those next two fixtures are just as significant as this one. Um, So that's a three-game stretch where their season can completely pivot on that. How the Rudvormer injury will will influence this, we don't quite know yet, but probably not positively because he's had a much greater impact on the side since he came in than than any of us would have imagined that he would, actually, which has been really quite interesting. Usten's next three fixtures, uh, Charleroi at home, Genk away, and Club Bruges at home, all all quite difficult at the moment. You know, two of those three sides are, are, are in decent form, one of which is scoring a lot of goals, so, you know, I don't see too many points for the Coos boys there. And we've now got, what, nine games left in the regular season. Oostend are six adrift uh, of safety at the moment. And if you thought there wasn't any margin before, I think we're we're, we're well out of um, room for that now. They really need to kind of go on a run in those last nine games. I mean, realistically, they probably need to go and win four or five of them, I think. And at the moment, I just don't see where that's going to come from. No, it's getting more and more desperate because they just they haven't kept a clean sheet since September I think it's something ridiculous like 17 games mm. it's just it's horrendous yeah. and if they can't keep it out then like yeah and when Hornby's not there they can't really score it's just a recipe for disaster I don't know what you can do and I think like what's coming out of the club off the pitch it now makes so much sense why it's been such a car crash season like not paying hotels not paying suppliers mm. hotels now not wanting to put the club up because they know they won't get paid. Mm. They then the club then released that statement, didn't they, where they were like every side runs with a deficit we're gonna pay all these things and stuff. Like the fan I saw I think it was Ustend FR, like the um one of the fan pages, they were like, Well, we got fifteen million in total for Teata, Hendry and Hulsaga. Mm. Like, well, where's this money gone? There's that theory that it all went to Nancy in France to help keep them going, who then got relegated. Mm. Barnsley I don't think anyone they don't think money went there, but Barnsley got relegated as well. It's like the clubs that these guys have owned go down and at the end of the day you have to be like, Well, like this is their this is how they run, this is how they operate, this is how their clubs exist. Mm. Like they've done it with two clubs, they're doing it with a third. You could say that come up with reasons that oh yeah no like everything's fine it's all being overblown but like you clearly aren't running football clubs very well based on looking around and looking what's happening like the transfers in to replace those three players just haven't worked like defensively 
they've gone from that great backline of Henji, Tiata, and then have like Tonge or maybe Capon would play there. Obviously, still those two still there, but the other two were mm. so good that that defense seemed a lot better. We'd have to look at the stats to see if it was actually better, but it mm. felt better. And there's a reason those two were then snapped up. Just haven't been replaced. Sakala never really been replaced. Maktar Gay, I guess Fraser Hornby has kind of replaced him. Um, so you can say, well, that, that's kind of a win there. But Michael Biron scored again mm. for Molenbeek. He was on the books, <laughs> doesn't didn't play. Like, I, I feel like I, I'm sorry to people who are listening and like, oh, we just bang it on and on about East End. But as this stuff is coming out, I feel like we have to talk about a side where people have mentioned bankruptcy as a, as mm. a possibility and they're struggling for funds when they've sold players. So they should have those funds. There's also rumours about youth coaches not being paid, which they said was completely mm. wrong. So I guess believe what you will in terms of that, but the stuff that's happening on the pitch and then off the pitch, it seems to be connected and it seems to be that it's a bit of a mess all round at the moment. And I feel like if a club's being run that badly, relegation just, it seems like a shoo-in, to be honest. Yeah, it's just, it's it's the perfect storm. Sorry to use another um, coastal pun there, but it is, it's the perfect storm for, for nothing good, unfortunately. And just, you know, the the more the weeks go by, the, the, the more stories kind of come out that... Uh, kind of confirm what, what appeared to be the case for for a long time unfortunately and it's just it's it's not good not 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 good at all and of course we also got the the slightly ludicrous situation this week as well that uh, former manager Eve van der Eiger and his staff are, are suing the club for unpaid severance wages uh, that had been agreed when when they left the club before Dominic Talhammer um came in and you know, uh, Eve Eve was actually on a on an Anderlecht fan podcast uh, recently talking about this and went as far as to say that he feels that the club has has no honour and quite clearly has money issues. And I thought, okay, on his latter point, I don't think we can dispute that because of some of the recent behaviour and and things we've seen. But for somebody who has had such a long standing connection with that club, you know, having been a manager twice and and yeah, having a strong connection with the club to come out and say that they have no honour, I think probably tells us that his own relationship with that club is, is albeit he's, he's not employed by them anymore, I think, you know, um, his his footballing sentiments for 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 the Coos boys, I think, have probably evaporated on on any sense now that he, he realizes the scale of, of of the problem, perhaps behind the scenes there as well. Yeah, no, hundred percent. It's just it's a, a stinky situation, I guess we could say. It just it's not going well, and it just smells of relegation and we've seen teams go down with poor finances that then just don't exist anymore so that you have to think that that could be a possibility like you just don't know what is going on there and what's really going to happen i think we'll only really find out if they do go down with kind of what has to happen will be a massive clear out of the squad and all that sort of stuff will be a very different looking east end side uh, in the challenger pro league which leads me nicely on to talk about the Challenger Pro League. Scott, obviously, end of the regular season. Most of the playoff positions were kind of confirmed, but there were a couple up for grabs and they came down to a little bit of drama uh, with the final games. Yeah, it was um, it was pretty wild, actually, the final round of games, up, up until the last few minutes of the games, which were all played at the same time, obviously, because of what was at stake and the spirit of fairness and all of that. It was, it was swings and roundabouts in those last five minutes. I was getting terribly excited watching to see if there was going to be a goal in a particular game that was going to change it again at the last moment. But last weekend's results, Beveren uh, battered Dender comprehensively 5-2 at the free 
Teal. Denza lost uh, 3-2, uh, a really dramatic late winner from Anderlecht under-23s uh, Nielsen Angulo, which secured Anderlecht under-23s a, a playoff one spot and saw uh, Denza missing out. Lommel lost to Lierza in Limburg, um, which means that Lierza have secured a playoff one spot in the end at the expense of, of Lommel, actually, who had a bit of a nightmare opening 20 minutes in that game, conceding twice and not managing to, to find a way back. Um, so that'll be a big disappointment to them. Particularly as last week I was saying they were giving out uh, free beer and free chips and uh, also 50% off tickets for that game as well. So that'll be a sore one for, for the Lommel fans. And SL16 played a, a goalless draw with, with Club Next. In terms of the bigger picture, uh, Molenbeek have returned to the top. Uh, Vertoner are, are still bottom. But the playoffs are now set. So we know that playoff one, the, the championship playoff, uh, no points halving everybody. Remember that as we go into this, uh, will consist of uh, Molenbeek, Beveren, Beershot, Lierza, Anderlecht under-23s and Club Next. And Playoff 2, which is the, the relegation playoff, uh, will feature Lommel, Denza, Young Genk, Dender, SL16 and Verton. I think Lommel and Denza aren't in any real danger of going down. I think it's it's realistically between Young Genk, Dender, SL16 and, and, and Verton. I think there's more than enough daylight, really, for, for Lommel and Denza at the moment. But they, they, they will still consider that hugely disappointing pointing because I think both of them will feel that they should have been playoff one sides but I suppose that underlines how competitive this division has been and will be even more competitive next year obviously with with three dropping down an interesting bit of news over the last week as well new T1 coming in at Verton Jose Junchamp remember him everybody most recently at Sarang former Muscron manager as well he's come in at Verton tasked with keeping them in the Challenger Pro League and it looks like if he can do that he, he probably will be staying on next season as well. So an important short-term goal for, for him. Top scorers. Top scorer is now Lucas Stazen. Uh, he's got 14 and 20. He's overtaken Tierno Barry at Beveren, uh, who has 14 and 21 right behind him. So we're just waiting now to see uh, what the, the, the playoff fixtures um, throw up. Uh, when they come out because that might tell us a little bit as to how the playoffs are going to go but I suspect judging by the way the regular season's gone then it's highly likely that the, the playoffs particularly the, the championship playoff playoff one will will probably go till the final week yeah it's kind of looking from the from the outside looking in you predict it's going to be a Beveren Modernbeek race for that promotion spot with Club Next and Alec Futures kind of playing the spoiler role. Lise probably as well playing the spoiler role and then Bierschgott hoping to take advantage of any of those two slip-ups but obviously Bierschgott are going into it of with pretty horrendous form mm-hmm. just like one win in five whereas the other two are going into it unbeaten. Well also Club Next and Anderlecht Futures are on a good good run of form as well. Lise obviously have won two in a row so yeah I think again one to look out for all those games and especially the ones between Molenbeek and Beveren they could be the decisive mm-hmm. ones to be honest or they're both going to draw those and it's going to be the other ones but should be good should be interesting and I think looking forward to welcoming one of those teams into the Pro League at the end of the season 
Before we do head off, though, let's speak about the national team. Domenico Tedesco was announced as the new head coach of the Red Devils. My personal opinion, much a much better appointment than any of the other names that were being mentioned, such as Henri, Pirlo. I can't remember some of the other ones as well. Uh, Frankie Vercalton's obviously coming in as technical director as well, so they're going to work together. I think, Scott, you're going to do a little bit more of a rundown on Tedesco, but kind of from my opinion, I think it looks like in a world where international football isn't considered the pinnacle anymore and you're not going to get the big, big names coming into international football. Someone like a Tedesco looks like it's going to be a smart appointment, um, but we'll just have to wait and see, I guess. Yeah, I, I think this is a really exciting and interesting appointment as well, Ben. I, I, I'm hugely encouraged by the fact that the the Belgian FA's task force has, has actually in the end decided to go with a what seems like kind of quite a sensible package in pairing up the legendary Frankie Verkoutren, uh, a.k.a. the Little Prince, um, as the new FA technical director. I mean, a, a Belgian footballing legend. I think they were always going to go down a road like that with an appointment like this, to be honest. Um, lots of people, I think, romantically had had notions of it being Michel Predome. Wasn't to be. He wasn't interested in the post. Frankie Verkoutren always was from, from the first moment there was a conversation from what I can understand and, and seem really really happy to be taking up post as the new technical director he needs no introduction of course he's got 63 caps of his own for the Red Devils and, and nine goals in, a, in a, a very successful international career as a player of course he's an Anderlecht legend almost 400 caps for Anderlecht periods at Nantes and Molenbeek as well and then as a coach a lot of time in Belgium in his career periods at Mechelen Anderlecht Genk Circle Bruges Antwerp and, and in Portugal with Sporting Lisbon as, as well as a number of other clubs in, in, in the Middle East too so um, he's he's very happy to be back Dominica Tedesco um, on the other hand very very exciting young Italian German coach obviously had periods uh, way back at the beginning of his coaching career actually starts out um, at the Stuttgart youth side um, as T1 and then had periods with the under 17s and 19s at Hoffenheim that don't, don't get mentioned too often he then goes on you know completes his coaching badges and has periods as T1 at, at Schalke, Spartak Moscow and, and uh, Red Bull Leipzig where he, he, he wins the he wins the German Cup of course. So you know in terms of his, his, his coaching career as a T1 it's it's not not necessarily glittering but it is it is interesting. He does quite like to play 3-4-1-2 that seems to be his sort of preferred uh, formation but the very interesting thing about him I think as a coach is he's quite pragmatic and adaptable if you look at his periods at Schalke and Spartak and Leipzig he did vary that 3-4-1-2 quite a lot and he spoke at the press conference when he was unveiled the other day about well the important thing is although I have preferences you have to be adaptable to the players at your disposal and that has to determine the way that you play and the way that you can play as well and I thought that was hugely encouraging because as we all know one of the long-standing criticisms of, of Roberto Martinez, who on the whole did a fantastic job, was that he had a plan A and, and that was it. And Dominica Tedesco, I think, is 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 a modern, responsive, highly adaptable kind of coach who likes to play high-intensity attacking football. So I think in that sense, it's a really good appointment. And working with Frankie Verkoutren, I think, will stand him in good stead. Frankie said something really interesting as well. Equally, he said, don't be surprised if you see me in the technical area 
and and potentially in the dressing room as well. I think he wants to work quite closely with Dominico. So just for the press that are listening to the pod, don't don't worry if you see Frankie in areas you wouldn't normally see a technical director because the plan is for them to work very, very closely together. Really interesting character to Desco. Some fun facts for you, everybody. He is the youngest ever Red Devils T1. He is only 37, which means he's younger even than me, everybody. Fancy that. He also has degrees in business engineering and a master's in innovation management and did work for a short period in in what some people would consider a real job. He worked for a car manufacturer briefly before beginning his his football and coaching career. Worked somewhere on an assembly line, I think, in in, in design. So that probably explains the business engineering and innovation management uh, academic background. And a bit like our Yoris, he's a big polyglot. He speaks a number of languages, uh, German, Spanish, English, Italian, uh, French and Russian, but not Dutch. So much like Roberto Martinez, he's freed up from from one of the languages uh, spoken in Belgium, one of the main languages, uh, which I think from a political perspective and navigating the media will standing him in very good stead, much like it did with Roberto Martinez. So exciting times ahead, I think, and uh, not too long before that, that first game, that first qualifier against uh, Sweden and Stockholm, Ben. Yeah, definitely looking forward to that one. And I think with Tedesco, the interesting thing we're going to see is how he adapts to international management in a sense of at Schalke, he had that really good first season, gets some second European football, and then it just all kind of unravels in the second season. And now they've obviously completely unraveled as a club and it's like they're just not the same. Spartak was slightly different because he came in when they were struggling and he just rejuvenated them before mm. leaving in weird circumstances, if I remember rightly. It was quite like a... He, he didn't have... To, he could have potentially stayed, but there were disagreements about things. So it wasn't like the side were doing badly when he left. Whereas then Leipzig comes in, wins the cup, but starts the next season badly, kind of like under Schalke, and then gets let go. So it's just interesting to see, like, right, well, what was the issue with that ability to be, kind of, keep the success more consistent and whatever the factors were that meant that he couldn't do that, are they now not there when it comes to the international game where he doesn't have to then worry about that? Like, there's nothing to worry about with transfers and like that sort of stuff. He can just be like, this is my tactical setup. This is how we're going to play. I'm just going to work on this. I'm going to, I've got the entire Belgian citizenship <laughs> to pick players that can fit into my system. I guess a couple of things, like to see him, obviously we're biased. We want to see him include a couple of the Pro League guys. Probably a Mike Tressel, I think is what we're calling for interesting to see if he goes for a Van Aken, if he goes for some of these guys that have been around like an Alderweireld for Tongan or is he mm. going to be like I'm not I'm not going to touch these guys I'm going Fies Tiata mm. Debast and that's going to be my back three and there I'm going to stick with or one of the other t- like Adendonko or someone like that and then in midfield where's he going to go like is Witzel going to be there or is he going to be like actually I'm going Tielemans I'm going Lavio instead mm. one of those guys I think it's, it's just yeah, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting because as we know, the, there's a serious amount of talent just waiting for their opportunity now to be integrated into that side. And of course, he, he famously did a bit of a Bielsa, if I can call it that, at his interview where he presented a, a an analysis and breakdown of forty young Belgian players that he wanted to work with and and integrate. Uh, into the setup, which I thought was 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 really really interesting and, and hugely encouraging actually, um, that he chose to focus on 
in those players. I mean, recently, uh, Amadou Anana obviously has has been looking really good, and and the thought of him playing regularly in that midfield with you know Romeo Lavia is is tremendously exciting, at, le- at least on paper. So I think there are, there are loads of reasons to be to be optimistic, and and working with somebody like Frankie for Countryn will will help keep him, you know, help keep his feet on the ground, and also help him learn more about Belgian football culture quickly as well. So exciting times, definitely. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, we'll see what happens with those first qualifiers. I think they've got a friendly against Germany coming up Ooh. as well. So some good tests. Um, Sweden will be a difficult game, but you think they should be able to win. But it'll be interesting. Yeah, that first kind of squad. That's what you're looking at, isn't it? You just want to see right, what is the where's the direction? Are we staying old or are we we moving on now? We shall see. But I think that's probably all we have time for this evening as always scott it's been a pleasure it has indeed see you soon everyone and we definitely will we'll definitely see you next week for another episode but in the meantime if you like what we do please do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice and you can also get in touch with us to talk about anything on mainly on twitter so if you just look for the belgian football podcast on there you'll find us all there but as always thank you very much for listening and we'll speak to you very soon on another episode of the belgian football podcast